Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you especially because we know who we are. We see you in all your wonder and glory surrounding us daily, yet we continually forget you in our sin-darkened hearts and minds. So now as we come to your word, help us to see you and to love you and to come to you more. In Jesus' name, amen. The word of God this morning is in Luke's Gospel, chapter 19. I always like it when you pull out a bottle of water and no one's opened it. It's a good sign. The Word of God in Luke chapter 19. This is a very familiar story to us, I trust. Um, The context is quite significant, uh, so it's important to keep this in mind. This is the Lord's last trip to Jerusalem. Uh, he comes down from the north, from Galilee, down the Jordan Valley to the city of Jericho, which is on the plain. And then he's going to go up the mountain to Jerusalem for the last time. And so as he goes through Jericho, he runs into this fellow, Zacchaeus. This is the word of God. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. Now, we've already sung two songs by the same guy today wrote them close to 200 years ago, probably, a little over that, uh, Charles Wesley. The very first hymn we sang was a Charles Wesley hymn. And this is just a little inside stuff. The the preacher gets to pick some of the songs, which is kind of cool. And I look forward to that because this is my favorite. And I think the reason that it's my favorite is because... It brings me back to the throne in a way that some others don't, to me personally. Because Charles Wesley asks a question at the beginning of this hymn that we need to be asking ourselves all the time. And I don't know about you, but I forget to. The whole first stanza is, 
And can it be, can it be that thou, my God, has died for me? How can that be? And that, see, the reason that question is so important is that we get sucked into the world's way of looking at God. We get sucked into this view of the living God as He's some kind of benevolent something or other who says, oh, I love you, I love you, I love you. And we forget what God did that we might love Him. And can it be? Died He for me who caused His pain. For me who Him to death pursued. Amazing love, how can it be that Thou, my God, shouldst die for me? To grow in our love for God is is what we must do. And we must do it in light of this question that Wesley asks us. And it's why this, this story of Zacchaeus, as we look at it, grabs us. Because we see what God did for this man, Zacchaeus. We see Christ Himself bringing him into the family of God. In all the greatness that that means. That that has become a little trite too, hasn't it? But to, to bring us in so that we are now sons and daughters of the living God, even as Zacchaeus was made a son of the living God. Now, what is so amazing about all of this, what God did, is because first of all, God indeed knows the depth and the extent of our sin. And we see that here in Zacchaeus. Now, There's an old Sunday school song that I kind of hesitate to to say because a bunch of you know it. And I don't want you to be haunted by this song the rest of the day. If you don't know it, you're blessed (laughs) that you don't have it running around your noggin. It's a good little song in a lot of ways, but it misses something because the song sort of goes like this, which I will not sing. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And a wee little man was he. Yeah, that's enough. Okay. And that's the emphasis of that that little chorus. But, But let me urge us to rethink that a little bit. Zacchaeus was a wicked little man. Zacchaeus was a wicked little man. Luke tells us in chapter 19, as he tells us about him, he says he was a chief tax collector. A chief tax collector in Jericho. Now, Jericho is in that Jordan Valley. And there's a, there are roads that go up and down the Jordan Valley, both directions, north and south. And they go up from, from Jericho, up into the mountains of the interior of Judea, the Roman province there, of which Jerusalem is the capital. So traders bring goods down from the Fertile Crescent, down the Jordan Valley, and up from Egypt and other parts of Africa, and they pass through Jericho. And likewise, the trade goes the other direction. It comes down out of Judea and passes through there. So my goodness, what a wonderful place for the Roman government to collect taxes. 
because you can get the import duties one direction and you get export duties going the other direction. And Zacchaeus was a contractor for the Roman government. And he would collect those duties going both ways. And as a chief collector, the best we can tell, he probably had a bunch of other subcontractors working for him who would do the same kind of thing at these key points around Jericho as they come through it. Now, you and I don't normally think of IRS agents as being wealthy. Okay? We think of other things sometimes. Just kidding. But we don't think of IRS agents as being wealthy. Zacchaeus was. And the reason Zacchaeus was wealthy was he was an extortioner. He took money from people and put it in his own pocket. If you're importing widgets, you guys who studied economics knows you can say that. If you're importing widgets, okay, and you've got, you're bringing into this province $1,000 worth of widgets, and you come to Zacchaeus' office and declare what you're bringing, he says, all right, here's the deal. I'm going to make you a deal. That $1,000, I'm going to tell the Romans they're worth $600 if you give me 100 Give me 100 under the table. I will tell them that you paid the duty on $600 worth of widgets instead of 1000 It's a great deal, win-win situation. Making money. Of course, you don't have a whole lot of choice at that point with Zacchaeus because he can charge you the full amount if he wants to. Or sometimes even more. But the point is, that's how he got his wealth. And all of his subcontractors got their wealth. But in addition to that, not only was the guy an extortioner and a crook and a cheat, he was also a collaborator. He cooperated with the conquering Romans. The Romans held their power by virtue of their army. And their army was supplied and resupplied because of the taxes extracted from the people of those that, the people that they had conquered. So Zacchaeus was helping a conquering army maintain its power. He was a lowlife. He was unpatriotic. He didn't love his people as he ought, but he made money. He was wealthy and he was powerful. Zacchaeus was a wicked man. Look at, the, look at the commandments he violated. He stole from people. He bore false witness to the government and those around him. He worshipped his own wealth. He coveted more wealth and power. And in covetousness, as Paul teaches us, is idolatry. So he had other gods before him. Zacchaeus was a, was a man that we wouldn't have anything to do with. And as we look at his life, we begin to understand the extent and the depth of evil in the human race. The Westminster Shorter Catechism tell, defines sin as any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. See, there's the standard it's the law of God. Not what I feel is right or wrong, 
not what seems good to me, but the law of God. That's what God held Zacchaeus responsible for before him. And it's, of course, what he holds us responsible for. Zacchaeus served other gods rather than the one true God. Zacchaeus saw himself as the center of all things and his wealth and in his power over men's lives. And in his idolatry, his rebellion against the living God, because that's really what it comes down to, it's really worse than what we get at first glance. And it's because of who God is. Whose law was he violating? The law of God. The God who made him. The God who gave him his next breath. The God who preserved and kept him going. A merciful and loving God. See, the gods of the ancient world were fickle and arbitrary. Even as the idols that we worship are fickle and are arbitrary and let us down all the time. So were these gods. And so his sin, his disobedience, his rebellion against this God is that much worse because of all who God is. One who sent his son from all eternity to live an obedient life, to suffer and die and pay the penalty that his people justly deserved for their sin and rebellion. Whoa. So this is what Zacchaeus was. So what happened at dinner? So that he gets up and starts giving his stuff away. Well, Luke doesn't give us many details. We have to speculate a bit. But I think we can speculate based on what we know from the rest of Scripture about Zacchaeus, about the Lord Jesus, and what we know about ourselves as well as other sinful human beings depicted in Scripture. Um, as Zacchaeus is up in that tree, and whether it was just curiosity or desire to know God better, and he'd heard about this man's teaching, and he'd heard about the man's signs and miracles, we don't know exactly, but he's up there in that tree, and he's looking, and he's looking to see Jesus for whatever reason. But as he comes out of this tree, he comes joyfully. He comes, and that's our first clue, really. Verse 4, He ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree. And when Jesus came and said, Come down, he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. He was guilty of all these things, and he at least somewhere in his heart and mind knew it. He had been raised a Jew. Zacchaeus had known the Scripture every week on the Sabbath. He'd heard the law of God read to him every day. 
And surely now, in his guilt, which if you'd ask him, he knew about, he sees in Jesus a man who loves him. A man to whom he can come and trust. Surely he saw that much as Jesus commands him out of that tree. Because he does come joyfully. Hey, maybe there is something here for me. Look at the mercy and grace and love of this man that I've seen already, even in this kind of parade through the streets of Jericho. Jesus, and we don't know Jesus' words later at dinner, but he somehow offers Zacchaeus the forgiveness of a merciful God to one who humbles himself before him. And we know that that happened because of what happened next. Zacchaeus does something about it. He looks people in the eye at that dinner table and he says, if I've cheated you, I'm going to give it back to you. If I have defrauded you, I'm going to restore to you four times what I owed you. And then I'm going to give half of what's left to the poor because they need it more than I do. He has begun to follow this Savior not half-heartedly, but wholeheartedly. He comes to Him. He no longer idolizes His own wealth or cheat His own people. But He will rather do all that God requires of Him because now He knows Jesus and He knows the forgiveness that comes from Him. Okay, so, so Zacchaeus somewhere knows his own sin and is transformed by this message and this man both. But what is even more astounding as we look at the story is that Jesus knew him. Jesus knew him before he came down out of the tree and before he went to his house for dinner. Now, again, imagination a little bit here. But we can imagine Jesus walking with his disciples through the crowd and people are gathered on both sides of the road. And Jesus looks up and in effect sees a man in a tree wearing a three piece suit. OK, because he's he's richly dressed I mean, he's a rich guy. He's not going to wear just sorry clothing or something. He's, he's going to look the part. I mean, he's the wealthy, powerful tax collector. He's up in this tree and Jesus, perhaps he already knew his name. But he could have just turned to one of the people who he was with and said, who is that guy? And they would tell him, oh, yeah, that's rich tax collector Zacchaeus. And that immediately made sense to Jesus. Because Jesus knows men's hearts, as the scripture says over and over again. He knew Zacchaeus's heart at that point. He didn't have to be told all about the customs booth in Jericho and all that stuff. He got it. And he understood Zacchaeus. And he looks up. And he doesn't invite. He commands. Did you catch that? Come down out of that tree. I must go to your house today. Come on down. 
Let's go. And that's the voice of the Lord Jesus right there. Come right now to me. And the marvel of that is that since Jesus knew what was in man and he knew Zacchaeus, in spite of that, he commanded him to come down to him. The Apostle Paul tells us of this merciful love of God in a similar way in Romans. While we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. Romans 5. While we were still sinners, Christ called us to Himself. In spite of our hearts, Christ calls and commands and says, I'm going to eat dinner with you tonight, Zacchaeus. Now contrast Zacchaeus' thinking, and he's feeling guilty and wanting to know something more about God in all likelihood. And here's Jesus, and he's inviting him over himself over to Zacchaeus' house for dinner in spite of that. And contrast that with the crowd now. Verse 7. Luke tells us, and when they saw it, that is the crowd, when they saw it, they all grumbled. You see, and we can hear that too, can't we? What is he doing? The nerve of this guy. Well, I thought this guy was supposed to be a great teacher, and here he is associating with a lowlife like Zacchaeus, a collaborating traitor who's robbed all of us in one way or another, and Jesus is inviting himself over to his house for dinner. And we all know that you don't go to the house of a sinner. You only go to the house of people who have been ceremonially cleansed, ceremonially cleansed, and eat the right kind of food. And we know that's not going to happen at Zacchaeus' house. What in the world is he doing? You see, and, and by that, the crowd betrays something to us. The crowd shows us They weren't there to listen to Jesus. They weren't there to learn from Him. They were there to judge Him. They were there to find out just how squared away or not this guy was. They were not there to submit to Him. I mean, they had their standards after all. And they knew what those were. And when I disobey, I betray the same heart. Because when I'm saying when I disobey a commandment, and I usually have a good rationalization, oh, it'll be all right, no big deal, you know, it's, well, I couldn't help it, it was all right. What I'm doing there is judging the law of God rather than submitting to it. And in fact, shudder to think, I'm in effect judging God that his, in His wisdom. Does God know what He's doing and given me a law like that? That's the depth of our sin. That's the sin we need to be rescued from, even as Zacchaeus did. Because I see myself too easily finding other idols but the living God to worship wealth or power or position or fame or security. Or certainty. Ooh, that's a good one for me. I like to be certain about stuff. I like to know whether it's true or not. Instead of trusting God with it as far as He takes me. 
It's so easy to forget that my relationship to the living God is, like Zacchaeus, in spite of my heart and my mind and my life. And so it becomes really, really easy for me to condemn other folks, whether they're in the church or outside the church, because I forget in my rebellion, Christ poured his mercy on me. When his disciples ask him, how, how should we pray, Lord? The Lord gave him a prayer. And one of the lines, two of the lines in that prayer just grab me every time I pray them. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Oh, I forget that. We, that prayer must be on our lips in some form or another every day as we serve and submit and honor this God who came for us. Well, which brings us toward the end of the, of the events of this story now. Because as Zacchaeus stands up and does all this, and, and you know there were jaws dropping all over the place as, as this guy makes these promises and, and this, it was clear, it must have been clear to everyone how sincere his heart change had been. Then Jesus adds something to all this when he says, Today, salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Son of Abraham. What's that all about? See, Jesus puts it side by side with this word save, rescue, deliver. A son of Abraham. Well, what's going on with that? I mean, Again, the, the jaws that dropped in, in the, around the dinner table went, Son of Abraham? Of course he's a son of Abraham. This is a small town. We know this guy. I mean, he's a Jew. His mom and dad were Jews. We saw him in the synagogue. We went to his bar mitzvah. We know his grandparents. They're Jews also. They, everybody probably even knew his tribe. So there's something else going on there. There's something more. And of course there is. These words explain one another, salvation and son of Abraham. And Paul, again, Paul, echoes the Lord's teaching in Romans 4. Because there, he says, talking about Abraham's faith. And all most of 4 is about that. And, and he talks about Abraham's faith. And he says... That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone. Oh, that's great. They were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses 
and raised for our justification. When we trust this Savior, we are Abraham's sons and daughters. Galatians 3, Paul says the same kind of thing in a slightly different way. New Testament books ought to be thicker paper. Galatians 3, this whole idea of the sons of Abraham. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Heirs means we're members of a family. Heirs means that we're related to Him. Heirs means that from all eternity, God's wonderful plan of this covenant by where, whereby He would win Himself a people is true in Jesus. And it was true on this day for Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus now belongs to Jesus. That's why he stood up at the end of that supper and did what he did. True sons and daughters are sons and daughters by faith in the finished work of the Savior. Zacchaeus trusts Jesus for his salvation. He doesn't yet understand it all. I mean, the cross is yet several days ahead. Jesus in chapter 18 predicts that cross. So it's this context that Luke would have us see. But that's where Zacchaeus rests. That's where he resides. He trusts Jesus. He's humbled himself, relying on God's mercy and grace alone, and repented of his evil and his sin-darkened life. He's believed in this promised one's ability to deliver him for all eternity, safely to the Father. He's now loved and accepted, not because of what he has done, not even his repentance, but because of what Jesus does for him. He's not earned his way into Christ's favor. He's been commanded into his presence. And he's been humbled before this one who saves him. And now he's free. See, that's why he gives up the idol of his riches. Because Christ is his, he has everything. And he's now free to cast off the idols of his wealth and his power. And he starts giving stuff away because he loves this Savior. And he's going to follow him and all the wonder that that is. Freed to live for the same Jesus who so graciously invited himself over for dinner. Another great hymn writer, John Newton, put it this way. What Jesus did in Zacchaeus' life is amazing grace. Amazing grace. And so the question before the house, do you know that amazing grace? That you can't bring anything to the Creator of all there is. That you and I cannot be holy before this God. That you and I 
lean on Him alone. We must come to Him. In fact, joyfully flee to Him from all our idols and all that would destroy us and all that would separate us from Him. That new birth, that freedom to serve Him, that delight in knowing Him, how can it be that Thou, my God, shouldst die for me? The Son of Man, Jesus tells us, and told Zacchaeus in that crowd, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And for that we praise Him. So we need to be careful to not be the crowd, don't we? To not judge the Savior, but trust the Savior. To flee to Him constantly and follow Him wholeheartedly. Because in spite of myself, Jesus came. Needing to pray constantly. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Now there's another wonderful account in chapter 18, the chapter before Zacchaeus. And it's the story of the rich young ruler. You may remember it. This rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says, how do I get to heaven? And Jesus tells him. And the guy says, yep, got that covered, done it, been there, we're good. And Jesus says, now there's one more thing that you lack. You need to give away your stuff to the poor. And then come follow me. And all the disciples were astounded at that. And the man leaves. You know, there's no Zacchaeus moment in his life, at least at this point, that we know of. He leaves. Turns away from Christ. And the disciples are going, whoa, whoa, what? What do you mean? And, and Jesus says, it's as difficult for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven as it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And the disciples say, wait a minute, we thought that riches are an indication of the blessing of God. And Jesus says, no, it's as difficult as for a camel to go through a eye of a needle. And then they say to Jesus, who can be saved then? And Jesus answered to that one, what is impossible with men? is possible with God. Think about Zacchaeus again. A camel went through the eye of a needle. Praise God. Let's pray. Our Father, thank You for this great salvation that You give us. Thank You that in spite of our sin, You came for us. We praise Your name that we can follow You now wholeheartedly. Please help us in our weakness. Help us to again and again come back to Your Word to find that assurance and that certain hope that we have 
in Jesus our Savior. Thank you for him. Thank you for coming. Thank you that while we were yet enemies, you died for us. As your heirs, as sons and daughters of Abraham, even sons and daughters of the living God, we live for you and for one another. And so we pray for one another now. Some of us have recently lost loved ones. And our hearts are heavy and sad. Some of us don't know what we're going to do without them. Help, we ask. Some of us carry worries. Worries that you are not able to take care of things. As we worry too much about our children or our parents or other people that you've put into our lives. Please help us. Please strengthen us. And Father, even as we pray for one another, we praise you for the work you've given us to do here in Lawrence. And in this country where we see the effects of sin surrounding us. Give us courage and give us hope to trust you and strengthen us as your people in this place that the lost will be found, that your work will be done well, and that your glory may be known to all in Jesus' name. And Father, even as we think about ourselves and about Zacchaeus, we think of the prayer that you taught your disciples and even us to pray. And we think of that prayer. And so now we pray it together in unison. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Please stand. And now receive this as God's benediction. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Let's sing his praises.